We are going to be in 2 Thessalonians. We have two messages remaining as we go through 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. So if you turn over there, full speed ahead. Full speed ahead is the name of the message. I know these are trying times and I know that uh, as you look around and you concentrate and focus on a number of issues that could be focused on, it could be depressing, you can become grumpy, you can become disheartened. It's, it's not that hard uh, to watch five, ten minutes of a news report and just say everything's a disaster. Not to mention the fact that uh, if you are connected to you know, just what's going on in the church world, there have been multiple church leaders that have fallen just in the last couple of months. Prominent names um, that have significant ministries. And they have had moral failures. And so you look at the broken world and then you look at the church culture and you say there's another, you know, pastor that's bitten the dust, so to speak, and uh, morally failed. And you can begin to throw your hands up and say, what am I supposed to do? What's little old me supposed to do in times like these? We know we have all kinds of tension with the election results. And I'll tell you what, my prayer has been very simple. And I'll just share my heart with you. I'm praying that every lie is exposed and that the truth comes to light no matter where it leads. Because God takes no pleasure in unjust scales or bribes or anything like that. So if there are things that need to come to light in this country, that's my prayer. Lord, bring them to light and bring them to light for your purposes and your glory alone. But here we are as the Church of Jesus Christ. We have a beautiful Sunday morning to share together. What are we supposed to do in light of the fact that we've studied a book that's largely about the end times, a couple of letters actually? Well, we're going to have some uh, principles that I'll give you, and let me just sketch the outline for you. What do you do? How do you move forward? How do you do a full speed ahead in times like these? Well, just remember that the church that this is written to, none of these people saw the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's been almost 2,000 years since this letter was written to this church. None of them saw the second coming. They went on with their lives. They lived and died. They had children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So I'll say to you, it is good to understand eschatology and understand the end times, but it's also very good to be a person who lives your life and you go forward, you press on. You live in the light of the second coming always, but there are three main principles here about how to move forward. One is prayer. Prayer is extremely important. Two is evangelism. When's the last time you just simply shared the hope of Christ with a neighbor or a co-worker? And three, and this is going to be for next Sunday, is hard work. To be a disciplined, hard-working person because really you build your character by the way that you go about your life. And I'm talking about having an ordered life. I'm not talking about that you never have any fun and that kind of thing, but I'm talking about that you are a hardworking, disciplined person, not only in your spiritual life, which should be a given, but it's probably not for most of us, but also in your work life and in your family life, that you have a well-ordered life, that you work hard. That'll be for next Sunday. Full Speed Ahead is the text. If you are able to stand with us, would you stand we're going to read just the first five verses. This is uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. 
Paul writes, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. 2 Thessalonians 3.2 And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. You can be seated. Father, thank you so much for each precious person that has uh, entered into this place, those who have joined us via live stream. What a precious congregation this is. What a wonderful thing to be able to come together on the Lord's day, seek our strength and refuge in you, seek our marching orders from you, and we are so grateful that we have a chance to hear the word of God and to let it sink deep into our souls and to activate our lives in the direction that you'd have us to go. So I pray that this message would be a message of encouragement and a message to exhort us to love and good deeds. That's one of the main reasons we gather, to encourage one another to love and good deeds. So thank you, Lord. May you be pleased with what we do May you give hope and encouragement to your people. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. How many of you remember the movie, The Hunt for Red October? Any? Oh, look at that. That's awesome. It's it's shocking me more and more. I look at the dates when movies were originally made, and I'm like, that movie was 1990? That means that, and I don't even know if The Hunt for Red October was 1990 or earlier, or somewhere around there, but that's 30 years ago, and Um, who's the actor that just uh, passed away that was in the movie? Sean Connery, right? And, uh, you know, it's life life is temporal, right? We see these guys and they look bigger than life and uh, there's nobody nobody makes it out alive, (laughs) right? Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter if you're a pastor, a politician, a Hollywood actor, professional athlete, right? The, the same fate is for all of us, and that's why we need to preach the gospel. And that's why we need to have hope beyond this life. I was th- thinking of that movie because in one of the great scenes in that movie, um, a torpedo has been fired, and uh, Sean Connery's uh, the actor who says, okay, let's go forward, and they go full speed ahead, and they're going right into a torpedo. And the American captain is going, this is nuts, disobey that order, don't you do it, don't you go there. But then he realizes that the captain has given the order so that the torpedo cannot be fully armed, and they go straight into the torpedo, and it just hits off the vessel, and it doesn't explode. Sometimes you just need to go full speed ahead, even when it looks strange and weird and even scary. And that's what the church has always done. For 2,000 years of church history, we could sit here and wallow in the mire. We can say, oh, why and what's going to happen? And we can hide or we can go full speed ahead. And if you had a chance to spend a couple of days with the Apostle Paul, I think that's what you would find with him. I don't think it it means that he was never depressed because we have evidence that he was. I don't think there's times that he was ever, you know, uh, he wasn't ever struggling with his faith or struggling with what he should do next. I think there's evidence that he did. He was human. 
But I think he always was able to muster up the strength to say, you know what, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to press on towards the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And that's what some of you need to do right now. Because you have found yourself, you know, kind of in this mode of falling back. And there's a lot of reasons why someone might do that. But don't give up because we need to move straight ahead into the mission that God has for us. Finally, brethren, Paul opens with these words, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. Now, the Apostle Paul was this great missionary, reached so much of the known Roman world. We're probably here because the Apostle Paul got that call from the Lord. What did this guy ask for prayer for? You know, your prayer requests reveal a lot about your character. And sometimes when we're a new Christian, we don't even know how to pray. We, we think maybe you got to pray in King James English and, you know, how do you do this? And people are sometimes afraid to pray out loud. I, I spent a lot of time teaching new believers classes and I would get everybody in a circle and sometimes I'd have 25 people in a class and I'd say, okay, we're going to learn to pray out loud and we'd be holding hands and I'd say, hey, all you got to do is just thank God for one thing or pray for one thing. And if you really, really, really don't want to pray, squeeze the hand of the person next to you. That will be a sign that you're not going to pray and it's their turn to pray. And inevitably, we'd begin with, you know, maybe I'd begin it or someone next to me who was helping and people would be squeezing (laughs) all the way around. Come right back to Pastor Michael. I'm not praying. I'm not praying. I'm not praying. What is prayer? Prayer is simply just communication with God. Prayer is not to impress other people. Prayer is to cry out to God. To say, I want to know you. Prayer is an admission that, you know what, I'm dependent on God and and I want to order my life according to his goodness and glory. Pray for us. What did Paul pray for? What did he ask for prayer for? Well, he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. Is it possible that the work of God has been hindered in some way by our prayerlessness? Do you know that uh, of all that we could talk about, about how salvation works and, you know, God's part and man's free will, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament letters, said, pray that the word of the Lord, which is another word for the gospel here, would spread rapidly. Apparently, Paul believed that prayer was a key to evangelism. Do you? Do I? You know, uh, prayer meetings have been probably the weakest attended things that churches do. You have concerts and people are jamming in the doors. You do evangelism training and prayer meetings and it's usually a handful of people. Why is that? Is it that we don't believe in it? I have been watching, you know, some of the events unfolding in our world and people stressing about all the election stuff and where the country is headed, and there's good reason to be concerned, but I was watching the Eric Metaxas show. You guys know Eric Metaxas, and uh, he's, he's a great guy, and he's written a, a couple of incredible books. He wrote a book on Bonhoeffer, by the way, that is an excellent book. And Bonhoeffer was in Nazi Germany and had to deal with all of that as a pastor. And Eric Metaxas was interviewing Michelle Bachman. 
who's been in leadership, political leadership. And she was holding a prayer meeting in Massachusetts. And I just thought it was amazing that here you have a couple of people who are very politically minded and, you know, we would probably listen to them on a, a myriad of subjects and they're talking about prayer. And even the president, no matter what you think of him, has asked the people all over the country who are Christians to pray. I think that's pretty amazing that the president of the United States is asking the Christian church to pray. See, when we pray, heaven is enlisted. And the Apostle Paul said, I want you, brethren, please pray for us. And pray that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly, that it would run swiftly, New King James, verse 1, and be glorified just as it did also with you. Pray for us, brethren, that the word of the Lord ESV may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Brethren, whatever the reasons are for the ongoing pandemic in our world and the pressure and the division in our country, I will say to you, and this has been said over the last seven, eight months, that I believe that the Lord is really trying to get our attention. And I think that one of the main ways that this country is going to heal is that we are people of prayer and that the word of God spreads rapidly across our land. We need another great awakening. Nothing less than another great awakening. Because the answers are not ultimately going to come through politics or anything else that you could talk about. The answers are going to come when my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray. They seek my face. They turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will heal their, forgive their sin and heal their land. Some people say, well, that's 2 Chronicles. That's the Old Testament. Yeah, but the principle is still true. If a people will call out to the Lord, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and you are the nation. A nation is made up of individuals. And so what the individuals in a nation do determines really the fate of that nation. And notice part B of the prayer request, that it spreads rapidly, runs swiftly, New King James, and that the word of God is honored as happened among you. Think about it. Just think about verse 1 and think about how our nation has gone. Is the word of God honored in the public square right now? You know, there are places today that you can't mention the name of Jesus in the public setting, where the Ten Commandments can't be mentioned, where God has, for all intents and purposes, been booted out, and then we wonder. We tag our speeches with, God bless America! Yet our actions are not in keeping with the word of God. And the Lord said to his own people, you draw near to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And at some point, the Lord, and this is really what he does, he measures, he, he looks at the motives of the heart. Nothing gets by him. And that's why we can have confidence, even with where the nation is right now, that the Lord is going to work it out. But the word of God will run swiftly is probably a, uh, 
picking up something from Psalm 147. Let's turn over there. Psalm 147. The Psalms are medicine for the soul. I hope that you're reading the Psalms regularly. Um, I had a chance to spend a little bit of time in several Psalms this morning. I was looking at Psalm 147 because the image of the swift running is within the Psalm, but it's just so good. I thought it would minister to all of us. So let's read it together. Psalm 147 verse 1 says this, Praise the Lord. It is good to sing praises to our God, Psalm 147, 1. It is pleasant, and praise is becoming. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. He counts the numbers of the stars for. He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. The Lord supports the afflicted. If that's you, he'll support you. He brings down the wicked to the ground. Sing sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises to our God on the lyre. Who covers the heavens with clouds. Who provides rain for the earth. Who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food. And to the young ravens which cry. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He does not take pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your sons within you. He makes peace in your borders. He satisfies you with the finest of the wheat. Here's what many commentators believe Paul is picking up on, verse 15. He sends forth his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts forth his ice as fragments. Who can stand before his cold? He sends forth his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters to flow. He declares his words to Jacob, his statutes, and his ordinances to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his ordinances, they have not known them. And then it ends, let's say it together. Praise the Lord. Another way to say praise the Lord, by the way, is hallelujah. The single word means praise the Lord. So whenever you say hallelujah, that's what you're saying. Praise ye the Lord. Now, do you see what this does? When you read a psalm like this, you know what it does? It gets your eyes off everything else and gets your eyes back where they belong, where it's God, right? This is, this is the key to living a successful Christian life. Is that the word of God would run swiftly into your heart and go out from your life. And that's what Paul has been asking uh, the, the prayer request in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, if you turn back there, is pray for us that God's word would spread rapidly. Brethren, I, I want to tell you that if we're going to embrace any 2021 vision for this fellowship can that be it? Can 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 be our vision for this next year? For 2021, can we say, can we, say we will commit to praying that the word of the Lord would, would run swiftly through Corona, swiftly through Eastvale and Norco and Riverside and Yorba Linda, and for that matter, our whole state. How desperately does our state need the word of the Lord to run swiftly through it? 
And here's the idea of a runner. And Paul loved running images. He, he used it in 1 Corinthians 9 and Hebrews 12, if he wrote Hebrews, and other places like Philippians 3. And Paul says, let's pray that the word of God runs rapidly across our land. Let's pray that it visits each and every household. And that's good, right? Let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. But here's the second thing. If evangelism is going to happen, someone's feet are going to have to bring the good news. Oh, I'll pray. Help that evangelism team reach people in Jesus' name. All right, let's eat. What are we doing this week? Uh, Do you know we have an evangelism team? Wayne, how many people are on the evangelism team? Six of you. And uh, they're at the Tyler Mall. They have a table at the Tyler Mall. We have a group that goes to the crossings. We have a group that used to be at the Corona Library, has done some door-to-door stuff. We have hundreds and hundreds of people that call this place home. We have six people on our evangelism team. Hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be on an evangelism team to be reaching people for the gospel, but the mission of the church is to get the gospel out to people who don't know the Lord. And that's why having non-Christian friends is a good thing. Because it's a potential to reach people with the hope of the gospel. Do you believe that the gospel is the only hope of this world? Hmm? If you do, then how about your 2021 vision and even moving into the holidays? I mean, have you heard people are saying... Let's decorate early for Christmas this year. How many of you have put up your Christmas decorations already? Just a few of you? Well, praise the Lord if you have, because Pastor Michael, I love Christmas lights. Love them! In fact, I'd like to increase our budget in Christmas lights for the building, for everything. I'd love it to be a shining city on a hill. But do you know why people are saying decorate early for Christmas? Because people want hope. And, and, and Christmas kind of brings out that hope. And that's, that's neat and special. But we know where the hope ultimately comes. It's not in Christmas lights and garland and you know, candy canes and whatever else we want to talk about. It's found in the hope of the world. That's what we proclaim. How about this Christmas season? You make sure you invite someone who doesn't know the Lord to a Christmas Eve service. Thank you over there. (laughs) One individual clap. All alone. Pray for us. (laughs) The idea of the language is that Paul was asking for continual prayer. That the word of God would go out rapidly. That it would reach many people. You could say it this way, that it would spread like wildfire. Oh, how we need a great awakening. And it can start right here. There are people in this room that have have not been Christians for a long time. And you're here because someone reached out to you, took a risk. And this is really important that we pray. Our prayers need to be about the gospel. Let me show you one other parallel passage to turn to in this regard. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, we have the armor of God. It's a wonderful uh, 
treatise on spiritual warfare and how we suit up. And there are six pieces of armor that are mentioned. The seventh is often overlooked, and it's prayer. And here's our same author. He talks about take the helmet of salvation, Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then notice, after he's gone through six pieces of armor, here's the seventh. He says, Ephesians 6, 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray, Paul says, on my behalf, 19, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Once again, the Apostle Paul giving us an insight into the Christian life. You gather your family for prayer. You're teaching your kids how to pray. Would you please include praying for unsaved loved ones? Teach them God's heart for the lost. See, Paul believed that evangelism, back to 2 Thessalonians, was a key, or that prayer was a key to evangelism. And let me just share something about a place that I think many of you know about. God did a mighty work in London through a giant of the faith named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. His sermons are still studied to this day. The story is told that one Sunday afternoon, a contingency of ministers came to the massive Metropolitan Tabernacle to observe him. Assuming the stout man at the side of the building wearing bib overalls to be the janitor, they asked, Sir, would you kindly show us the power plant of this huge structure? Certainly, the man replied, leading them to the basement. As he opened the door at the end of the hallway, the ministers expected to see a mighty furnace. Instead, they saw over 200 men on their knees praying for the upcoming evening service. Prayer, gentlemen, he said, is the power plant of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Prayer is where the power is. Because when you pray, you are asking God to do the work. Do you know that uh, there's a prominent Christian leader that's fallen? I won't mention his name, but you probably, many of you know who he is. And he's big in, uh, in circles of uh, famous people and that kind of thing. And do you know, in his own personal testimony of his fall, he said that he was operating in his Christian life, essentially, he put it this way, with no power. He was, he was doing it in the flesh. He was going through the motions. He knew what to do, what to say, how to look, how to be, but he was not really connected to the power source. So everything that was being done was really just being done in the power source of the flesh, or the power of persuasion. Jesus said it this way, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that doesn't mean you can't do anything, but it means there's nothing that's really going to be imbued with the power of God that's done in the effort of the flesh. And I'll tell you, over the years, the church has majored on so many minors, and I'm talking about the church in this country and the church around the world. We get into all this stuff and we have debates about all these peripheral topics, and the church becomes relatively weak and in the world's eyes, frankly, irrelevant. 
Because our mission is to spread the gospel and to make disciples, right? Our mission is to get the word of God out so that it might be glorified and honored in many different places. If you're interested in a, taking a note uh, on a parallel passage, this is from Acts 13, 48. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began, Acts 13, 48, rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And it says, and as many as been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region, Acts 13, 48 and 49. Oh Lord, let your word take root in our schools, in different places. Some of you are in strategic positions in education, in the medical field. Some of you have your own business. I have a friend from years ago who told me that he laid his business at the Lord's feet. And he and his uh, business partner said, we are, gonna, we are going to honor you with our business, Lord, and we're going to give 10% of whatever comes in of our profit to the work of the Lord. And I tell you what, that business flourished. And they had dedicated that business to the Lord, not only to ask God for his blessing, but to impact people. Now, the second prayer request here, after he talks about the word of God spreading in verse 2, 2 Thessalonians 3, is that we may be delivered or rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Now, some of you need to mark that last part, not all have faith. Not everybody's going to become a Christian. And if you decide to take what verse 1 says seriously, you're going to have some wicked and perverse men who cross your path. Take it to the bank. There are always going to be people mad about Jesus Christ. And they will vocalize it. And if they see somebody in the Christian ranks fall, you could be sure they will jump on social media to frolic in their demise. Oh, there's old so-and-so. Have you ever seen the nasty stuff that people can write about Christian leaders and them falling or something happening to them? Do you know when Rick Warren's son committed suicide, and wherever you stand on Rick Warren is not the issue here, but Rick Warren's Saddleback Church, Purpose Driven Life. You know, when his son committed suicide, non-Christians from everywhere were thrashing him in the media and elsewhere, sending hate mail to him after his son just died. There are wicked and perverse people in this, on this planet, man. I was reading a thread last night. Uh, I was looking at a church that someone had mentioned that they go to. And I was reading a thread. The pastor had gotten COVID. And people were literally celebrating that he was sick and wishing, and I'm not kidding when I say this, that he were dead. I hope he dies. That's what they said. I hope he dies. What? Why? Because he's a pastor. And he preaches. <laughs> I tell you, Paul, Paul had to deal with some wicked and perverse men. There was a group of people that said, we're not going to eat another meal until this dude is dead. You think you got pressure in your life? <laughs> Can you imagine that? A friend updating you, hey, I just heard, uh, I'll send you a text so we don't have to do this face to face. There's a bunch of people who said they're not going to eat again until you're dead. Have a good day. Jesus loves you. 
Now, Paul wrote First uh, and Second Thessalonians, most likely from Corinth. I want you to turn to Acts 18, and I'm going to show you something that was happening in Paul's life. So he had, he had gone uh, to Athens in between being in Thessalonica. You want Acts 18. And uh, he had preached there. And he left Athens, Acts 18, 1, and came to Corinth. And that's where scholars think he wrote these two letters that we've been studying. He found a Jew, Acts 18, 2, named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he came to them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, Acts 18.3. They were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. There's Paul again. Nothing seems to stop the guy. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, probably a blasphemy against Jesus himself, he shook out his garments and said to them, in politically correct language, your blood be upon your own heads. (laughs) I love that. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. I've done my job. He left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. So this is where Paul had been ministering, and now he's right next door. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. Great news, right? There's the synagogue leader. He gets saved. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Hey, that's a banner day for any evangelist. You've won the synagogue leader to the Lord Jesus Christ. This has to impact a lot of people positively for the gospel. People are getting baptized. People are getting saved. It's the talk of the town. Christmas, the synagogue leader is going, he's a Christian. And you would think that Paul would just be going, yeah, yeah. But notice the next verse. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, which implies to me that Paul was afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he, Paul, settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now this is the famous Corinthian congregation. And would you notice that Paul, after a banner day of evangelism, goes to bed that night, and he was probably praying something like this. Oh, Lord, I know it's coming because I've experienced it in other places and other cities. Wherever you give me success, usually what happens is that there's a bunch of people mad at me, and I probably got a beating coming, or I'm going to have to order an Uber and get out of town. Because every time this happens and people open their hearts, there are wicked and perverse evil men who want to destroy me. And maybe Paul had a restless night, if you turn back to 2 Thessalonians, something like this. Lord, I don't know if I can go on. I don't know if I can keep doing this. How many towns and cities am I going to go to where you give me the beauty of seeing people get saved only to realize i got to skip out of town because people want to kill me? That's a tough way to live. 
And you know what Jesus does? He appears to Paul that very night and says, don't be afraid anymore. I'm with you. No one's going to hurt you. That seems to be what Paul's concern was. He was human. He didn't have a martyr's complex. He, he was just like us. If you hit him in the face, it would hurt. He bled just like us. He had concerns just like us. There's good evidence that Paul, if you would have saw him, he was a pretty broken down, hurting man. Physically speaking, he wasn't impressive. He had seen a lot of difficulty. And yet Jesus says, go on speaking. There's many people that I'm going to surround you with in this town. And Paul was able to stay in Corinth, get this, for a year and a half. And the implication is that he was free to teach and disciple and help plant a church. And it can look like chaos around us sometimes, 2 Thessalonians 3, but the Lord is faithful. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what's on your heart. He knows that there are wicked and perverse people who don't have faith and are just waiting to jump on websites and thrash the next Christian who speaks in the name of the Lord. Not everyone has faith. And you and I need to realize this because if we're expecting the whole world to become Christianized, that's a false, that's a fantasy. Not everyone has faith and not everyone's going to believe. And it doesn't matter how much evidence you give them. Some people simply, Jesus said it in Luke 16, will not believe. Even if one rises from the dead, some will not believe. But are you going to hinge all of your activity for the next However many years God gives you on that person's lack of faith, some of you are doing that right now. You have a person in your life who's expressed a lack of faith and it has totally upended you. But you shouldn't be surprised by it because this is what happens. This is the story of the gospel and humanity. He says, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. When Paul wrote the last chapter of his life, he, he talks about the Lord... 2 Timothy 4.17 stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. And then he says, 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. And he ends with, amen. Look at verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians 3. Now, even though there are people who don't believe, they don't have faith, not everybody has faith, verse 3. But by contrast, the Lord is faithful. If you are hinging your hopes on humanity, <laughs> you may need to rethink that position. Because people can be fickle. People that, some of you have people who led you to the Lord that have now fallen away. That is a hard thing. When I was a young Christian, I was at a church fellowship. And I've said many times that I struggled, in, especially in the first four or five years of my walk with the Lord. I was in my early 20s. I brought a lot of baggage into that walk. My wife and I walked down the aisle, and I felt almost an immediate call into the ministry. But I was still really wrestling with just giving up all of my sin. And... By the age of 26, they had made me an elder in the church. I was ordained into uh, being a pastor of evangelism, and I was just in my mid-20s. I was a fairly new Christian. And all of a sudden, it came out that the senior pastor of the church had fallen. 
And I was on the elder board. Now, keep in mind, this was a man who married my wife and I, baptized us, had discipled me, and then he had had a moral failure. And I was on the board trying to determine what to do next with the fall of my pastor. And I'll tell you, it was heart-wrenching. Because half of the congregation wanted him booted and half wanted him to stay and get counseling and move forward. The church was divided. The, a lot of stuff came out that wasn't pretty. And that can upend you. And some of you maybe, maybe you're watching live stream right now, or you're here, and this is your story. Somebody that you trusted, somebody who was strategic in your Christian spiritual journey has disappointed you. And it happens. So what do we do now? Well, here's the key I want you to see. The Bible says the Lord is faithful. And what will he do? He will strengthen, which means he will establish you, make you firm and strong. And what will he do? And he will guard you or protect you from the evil. You'll see, notice that one is in parentheses. When, when this is rendered this way, uh, it's because the word is evil, the evil, and by implication, commentators would say it implies or leads us to the evil one that is Satan himself. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, and he says to pray, deliver us from evil, and some of the versions say the evil one because it's implied and Satan asks to sift Peter like wheat. And Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking someone to what? Devour. So sometimes the evil, it could be rendered evil in general, but evil finds its, uh, you know, its main expression, if you will, in the person of Satan, who's a fallen, rebellion, uh, rebellious angel who at one time was in the presence of God and was perhaps even an archangel. Do you know that sometimes the people who have experienced the things of God become the enemies of God? So listen to this. I heard recently, uh, I was reading a book on what's happening in the LGBTQ, whatever else is their community. And this person is giving a, t a personal testimony of coming out of that community and coming to Jesus Christ. And the person's firsthand testimony is, that some of the most vocal people who are anti-church and so forth in that community grew up in Christian homes. Do you know that some of the most prominent outspoken stars, Hollywood people, musicians, who are in the limelight today grew up in Christian homes and often had pastors as either their father or somewhere in their family? What happened? Well, sometimes they saw hypocrisy. But we also know that sometimes a person is raised in a good environment and they still rebel. And you say, how could that happen? Because they're people prone to wander. Can you feel it? You, do you have any wandering tendencies in your own heart? Yeah. Well, this is how it happens. And even though there's a lot of 
fickle, unfaithful people, and even people who are angry at God and angry with the gospel and malign the church, the Lord, brethren, is faithful. And he, what will he do? He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And Paul, who wrote that, just experienced that vision in the night when the Lord Jesus came to him and said, don't be afraid. I tell you, there's been many times when I personally have felt like I'm walking into the lion's den in many different contexts. And my prayer often has been, oh Lord, get somebody else. (laughs) The Moses complex, right? What am I doing here? Why am I that guy? (laughs) Right? All that human stuff. But you know what? The Lord is always faithful. And inevitably, he shows up. I'll give you a quick story. So some years ago, uh, I was in this racquetball group. And there was a lot of non-Christians in the group. And I had a chance to minister to a lot of them. And we had a lot of incredible uh, competitive racquetball games. And there was a gentleman in our group who was in his early 50s who was playing paintball in his front yard and felt crushing pain in his chest, fell to the ground. One of his family members was right there who was a paramedic and couldn't save him. He passed away. And so word began to spread to our group of racquetball players. We all texted each other to set up you know, times when we could play racquetball. You know, Mark's, Mark's tragically passed away. And... Uh, they began to look to the preacher. You know when you're the preacher in the group, right? And everybody kind of, oh, preacher boy. <laughs> One of the guys in the group called me Kid Mike the Preacher Boy. And uh, he was a boxer, so he had to give me a nickname. Kid Mike the Preacher. Here comes Kid Mike the Preacher Boy. Right? So all of a sudden, word comes to the preacher in the group. Hey, our friends died. Now everybody needs some hope, right? Now, now it's gotten serious. So I talked to the family, and uh, we talked about a memorial service. And then about a day later, I got word that someone in the family did not want the gospel preached at Mark's memorial service. And I got a telephone call, and it was basically this. Uh, I think we're going to go in another direction because they don't, there's a family member who does not want to hear about Jesus Christ at this memorial service person was very hurt and upset. And so I just asked people to pray. I just, people in the prayer chain began to pray. And uh, the daughter who was involved in this whole situation, I had spoken to her once and she had heard about what was going on and she said, you know, she had heard me share that I had shared the gospel with her dad one time. And he was a very strong, tough athlete And after I had shared the gospel with him, he said to me, that's beautiful. And it was not like him to say words like that. That's beautiful. That's what he said to me sharing the gospel. So anyway, the daughter calls me and said, I don't care what they say. I want you there. I want you sharing the story about how my dad opened his heart or how he uh, responded to your gospel presentation. I said, okay. So the memorial service was in a backyard. Now, here's what they decided to do. They said they had a lawyer in the family, an attorney, and he was going to emcee the memorial service, right? And and so it kind of, it shifted, but 
they, they, the daughter wants me to go, but there's people who don't want me to be there, and, no, and somebody doesn't want me to preach, and you get the idea. So I walk into this backyard, two armed bodyguards, no, just kidding, <laughs> had a friend of mine with me, and it was, uh, everybody was over above the pool that was involved in the service, and everybody else was spread out over here. So I, I walked up to the platform, <laughs> and the, the lawyer in the family was emceeing, you know, everybody's coming up, oh, a great guy, and it was a fantastic, and it was this and that, and it was so fun, and we remember over here, and we did, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so they had about three or four people speak, and I walked up to this little elevated place, and I whispered in the attorney's ear, I'm the preacher. And he went, oh, oh. <laughs> so the family was like, let him speak. So I had called a pastor friend of mine who, and I shared the story, and I said, I said uh, you know, this is what's going on. Here's the dynamics. And he said, why, well, why don't you go up there and just share your conversation with him, and by the conversation, you can preach the gospel. So that's what I did. So I began to tell the story. You know, one day outside the racquetball court, I got a chance to share, and, and I told him, and I, and I weaved the gospel and the whole thing. And sometimes, brethren, I'll tell you, this is how it works. You feel like you don't even know what you're going to do, humanly speaking, and in the power of God, all of a sudden, you could hear a pin drop, and everybody is just listening, and the gospel is going out with authority and power, but also with hope and grace. And when I was done, I invited people, and I, but here's what happened. Every time I would say something else, the attorney was, would start to get up, and somehow he just magically sat back down. <laughs> it's like he wanted to go up and stop me. He's like, and then something just, they said, I don't know if the, somebody was pulling on him or the Lord was sitting him back down. But he, and, and I would say, and then, and, and Jesus said, and, he, and then he just sat back down. It's very common when I'm preaching. I'm sure you guys have figured this out by now. People want to get up, and then sometimes they sit back down. But anyway. So the gospel goes out, and then I had people coming up to me and saying, oh, hi, Pastor Michael, I'm so-and-so. I, I live up in Big Bear, and I need to tell you, we heard about what was going on and how uh, the family wanted you to preach the gospel, but then somebody got mad and didn't want you to preach the gospel. And, and I said to my husband, do you think he's going to preach the gospel? And my husband said, I don't know, he's a preacher. What else could he do? And, and they were, apparently they were taking bets up on the mountain, you know, and people were hearing about this thing, and, and here's something that was happening they said, like this lady says to me, we've been praying for you all week. I didn't even know these people. Brethren, the church was there. There were Christians there. I didn't even know who they were. Oh, we heard that. And then we, and you know, we've been praying for you. And, and I knew you were going to preach the gospel. <laughs> I, I just knew it. I told my husband, I, I, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to preach the gospel. I just know it. <laughs> so the gospel goes out. So... You, you never know what the Lord's going to do with everything. But I had some really cool conversations with people. Left there. Thank you, Lord. And uh, six months later, I'm at a pulpit preaching. Do you know who walked in our church? The person who didn't want me to preach at that message, that, at that service. He and his wife walked into the church, sat through a service, greeted me afterwards, and then I come, came to find out the backstory. And the backstory is that there was a lot of Christian background there. Something happened. I don't know what it was. There was hurt and wounds and bitterness because of the sudden death of our friend. 
and you could understand, but the gospel still ministered and God still worked. Paul says, we have confidence in the Lord, verse 4. See, my confidence is not in me. My confidence is not in my ability to make a slick presentation. Do you know when I was growing up, I acted like I was sick on oral report day. I did not want to speak in front of people. Now that's all the Lord has me doing. Does God have a sense of humor? Yes, he does. This is the last thing I imagine doing. But here I am. And I have confidence in the Lord. That's where my confidence is. Not in anything else. Not in my ability to produce something. My confidence is in him. Concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. It's a young church, but Paul expressed a similar confidence about the Philippian church. He who began a good work in you, he will complete it till the day of Christ. He's going to finish what he started. Amen? So I might as well get on board with his program and let him lead me where he wants me to go. And then a final verse, an encouragement where the strength is found. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. His love is my strength. And into the steadfastness, hupomone is the Greek word, it has the idea of patient endurance of Christ. Here's two keys, and this is Paul's prayer. I'm confident, and I'm praying that the Lord would direct your hearts into his love. The love of God poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that was given to us. May the Lord redirect your heart to God's love. When I don't know where else to go, that's where I go. I go to the foot of the cross, and I remember how much God loves me. That he put his love on display at the cross. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I, I need to redirect my life and heart back to the love of God. And, and if you've been outside of that and you've kind of been missing the bullseye, that's his love. His love strengthens and fills. And then if you have an NIV, it says, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Some believe here it's the model of how Christ persevered even all the way to the cross through the Garden of Gethsemane could be that. Or it could be the gift of perseverance that Christ gives. You could look at Romans 15, 4, and 5. I think it could be both. We look at Jesus' ex example of perseverance all the way to the cross, but I think he also gives perseverance. This is a final prayer, and it's from David. It's 1 Chronicles 29, 17, and 18. He's talking about his son and praying, and he says, Since I know, O oh my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness, in the integrity of my heart have willingly offered all these things. So now with joy I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. 1 Chronicles 29, 18. O oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers... Preserve this forever in the intentions of their heart of your people. 
and direct their heart to you. Lord God, thank you for this little section in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We've called it full speed ahead. Sometimes we wonder what should we do after we've learned about the last days and we look at our world and maybe our personal lives are struggling right now. Maybe our walk is not where it should be. Maybe there's been several things that have hit our hearts in this message. But Lord, wherever we find ourselves, may you direct ourselves into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. You're the God that the Bible says daily bears our burden and you're the God that gives perseverance and strength to your people. And I pray over this congregation and I pray over the church here in Corona in Southern California that you would strengthen us, Lord, and we think of mission stuff here as we move full speed ahead. Prayer, evangelism, hard work, an ordered life. But also there's much more, a life of joy and a life of peace and a life of love. And there are some that feel perhaps that they're unraveling right now. And I pray you would stabilize them in the storm. I pray that you would grant them perseverance and hope and strength. I pray that the times that we live in would drive us to you and not to other things. That we'd keep our eyes focused on you. Help me, Lord, in my weakness and in my temptations to look everywhere else and to fret and worry. To find my hope right there in the heart of Christ and in the strength that he provides. Thank you that we have a verse we all know. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Thank you, Lord. With your head and heart bowed, I'm going to ask you just to take a, a moment, a Selah moment, to let the word of God sink into your heart. Father, whatever's been from me that's not profitable, let people quickly forget it. Whatever's been from you, let it sink deep into our souls. And I pray that those who don't know you would be crying out to you right now, Jesus, save me. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead. I repent of my sin. Pray it if it's you. I receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord. If you've been a prodigal, and maybe you've been running the opposite way, may you come home today and just say, Father, forgive me. I've sinned against you, but I want to be back. Would you restore the joy of my salvation? Would you restore things back into my life that I've kind of let slide? And Lord, for that saint that just needs a word of perseverance, I, I thank you that we've gotten a word today about the perseverance and strength that Christ provides. Thank you that you're so good to us, Lord.